You're listening to The Chain, a science podcast where we bring what is new in biologics and protein engineering to the community of scientists working in this field. We discuss the latest developments with leaders who are on the front lines of cutting-edge research. Some scientists dream of genes, but Amgen's executive director of process development, Dr. Cenk Unde, dreams of intelligent data flow through the value-added chain of biotherapeutic protein development. In this episode of The Chain, he sits down with Hannah Loss to describe a system of streamlined and effective data management at every step, from molecule delivery to working with suppliers. Cenk, thanks again for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. My pleasure. So when you were a doctoral researcher, what technology or process do you wish you had? Can be anything <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, we are talking about uh, quite a long time ago, almost 20 years now, in the late 90s. And just to give you context about the you know, computational technologies, what we had then and what we have now, so I would say I wish I had more computational power. So we were limited to uh, Unix stations and uh, some of the, now nobody will touch uh, these uh, old 386 DX machines and the desktops, which cost us a fortune to buy in the lab at the time. It's unbelievable. So that, that would have been nice to have access to more faster computers uh, and also broader data sets because of the storage limitations, uh, we had to be mindful on uh, how large the data sets we can handle. And I would have loved to have a little bit more access to uh, much, much larger big data type data sets, uh, especially from industrial processes. And of course, uh, with ample storage capacity. So uh, that would have been uh, enabling capability to between uh, different scales and faster and better. Um, but at the same time, um, when I think about it, not, not so many researchers in my field had, the same, had this type of thing back then either. So uh, it's, it's, it's a kind of level uh, playing field. Other piece I would allow to have access in a more powerful artificial intelligence platforms that we enjoy today. If we do some of the things without thinking, things are in cloud, you just access to the, you know, even open source code or uh, you quickly come up with an app um, type things uh, we didn't have before. We had to write a lot of code and execution of that and deploying to a lot of different people. That's not exactly straightforward. And, you know, especially platforms like uh, AWS, Azure, or Google Analytics type big platforms, uh, or Salesforce. So those are making, uh, we, we kind of use them almost like uh, it's, it's uh, a given, but back then it wasn't, we didn't have these platforms. At the same time, I have to say, I was uh, one of the, I feel that, that I was one of the lucky ones. That's one of the reasons why I chose my uh, research institution in the U.S., uh, which was uh, Illinois Institute of Technology in Chemical Biological Engineering under Professor Tenar, that we had a, a capability to develop and uh, advance knowledge-based uh, systems on Unix clusters for real-time uh, process supervision. So kind of expert systems and uh, integrated hybrid systems applications. So it was ahead of its time uh, at the time. Uh, now I think about it. So we were able to come up with a knowledge-based system that uh, it was playing a role of a multivariate statistician and fermentation scientist in one like AI entity for real-time process supervision and a learning system. So from that perspective, I felt great privileged that I think we could have done more if we had today's technology. Right. You know, it always seems, especially with such a fast 
pace of changing technology, we can always do more. And so your doctoral research there, was that your first sort of foray into process development and uh, manufacturing improvement? I had a few years of experience just before that in the pharma industry, in the solid dosage forms. Uh, so that's where I introduced into pharma and learned a lot on process development and what it takes from development to manufacturing into supply to patients and then final medicine, final product. And then I joined, I uh, left industry to focus on my uh, research or PhD and postdoctoral. But, you know, the one thing that worked for me was even uh, in those two years of pre-PhD exposure to industry problems actually gave me a lot of uh, ideas and excitement about what is uh, what are the things that are needed in a pharmaceutical uh, manufacturing and process development environments and what are the things that in research side that we should develop to help address those problems so that's what motivated me actually and i always want to come back after my education to see what are these realm of the possible <laughs> things we could actually realize real settings that that was an amazing uh, opportunity then after my research is done uh, to find the opportunity at MGEM to be able to realize my It's sort of see the real life applications of yes. all your lab work and process. That's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed some of your research, you talk about intelligent data management. So for you and your colleagues, what does intelligent mean to you? Yeah, so in its broadest term, it is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge, a very broad uh, definition. But what uh, I mean when I use that, in addition to that definition, is it's building and designing these data systems in, uh, let's say, in process development or manufacturing that are semantically aware. In other words, uh, they can laser, later easily bolt on other applications such as smart analytics tools or visual analytics or prediction tools, machine learning, whatnot, quite easily. If you don't do that and you just, you know, uh, put the data in a raw form without any considerations, it becomes uh, quite challenging to manage that. Um, this also applies to the human element where uh, the human machine interface requirements are in the, in the data management form that how the scientists and engineers will be able to find, extract, and apply their knowledge into this data to provide business insights. So um, another way to put it is that uh, we manage data with the end in mind, for instance, we apply a lot of pattern recognition and other reporting, even simple uh, visual reporting, all the way to the regulatory filing, for instance, that uh, requires a very easy and convenient access, uh, reliable access to data, well-integrated and a well-defined data set. So the uh, connecting data is much more streamlined and well uh, thought out. So those are some of the activities that are not only capturing and organizing data, but also as intelligent ways or keeping intelligence in mind, but at the same time, connecting that intelligently curated data into intelligent systems uh, for creating insights. So keeping things smart, I guess, on both sides, um, helping that process go through. Yes, smart from the start. Yes. 
So when a new or improved process is implemented, what sort of responses have you received from colleagues? Um, is it usually, it seems to me that, okay, a better intelligent process, a better intelligent storage systems, like, would be a positive thing. But I'm just wondering, you know, if something's completely new, how it's been received in your experience? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's, it's like any change. I would say it's nothing, it was, my experience hasn't been any different than any change, how people react. So um, there are these uh, people, maybe three categories I'm seeing as a behavior. Then you introduce into, a, let's say, bench top scientist, you know, who's been used to executing experiments in a very conventional way, take the measurements, go to a lot of labor intensive activities to, you know, get some answers to, let's say, uh, to uh, hypotheses. And you come to that person to say, well, uh, guess what? Um, all these experiments you've been doing, actually 90% of those, they have this in silico model, we call it, or a computational model that can predict even more accurately than the wet experiment uh, be interested in using that so that you free up a lot of time and do more uh, research. So that's not an easy thing to, <laughs> you know, uh, grasp initially. And uh, people are usually skeptical uh, saying, oh, okay, you know, um, how should I trust you? How should I trust your model? And what have you done to make that work? So we had those examples. Other, other examples on the resistance side is the, um, in order for us to be intelligent, any data management, uh, the topic we just talked about. Uh, it also required um, our scientists at the, uh, the data capture level uh, to behave quite differently. Meaning, uh, we used to we used to enter certain terms about the like we call metadata, right? About the experiment, for instance. So, what is that experiment about? Type data, uh, pretty much freely, uh, and. Uh, if you, although you are working on the same molecule, for instance, or study, and if 10 scientists or engineers are working on it, so they may have a favorite way of calling that. Uh, all technical, but different ways of calling the same thing. So sometimes they call it a you know, molecule name, sometimes they call it the IND name, sometimes call it in commercial name or whatnot, but it's all referring to the same thing, or there's a shortcut name. And if you do that, and it, it gets into the data uh, system, then later, if you wanted to compare uh, data or do some analysis with it, we are talking about multi-year uh, work, right? So our drug uh, development takes a number of years, uh, and then different teams handle different parts of the work, and it becomes quite an ordeal for us to stitch it together and uh, say, oh, okay, this is what you mean. So we put some uh, logic there to say, uh, okay, so now we have a data model, and we will actually put a pull-down menu for you to select. Therefore, it's already standardized terminology. As an example, as a vocabulary. But some people didn't like that, and uh, some people said, okay, I'm entering one more piece of information. There, it, there's no seeming value to me. Uh, why am I doing that? And then we explain to them, actually, it's going to help downstream your other colleagues uh, to achieve the following. We hope you're enjoying this episode of The Chain and wanted to let you know about an event coming to Southern California in January. The 19th Annual Pep Talk Conference is taking place January 20th through the 24th in sunny San Diego. If you need a winter escape to the sun and sand, take advantage of Key Code Pod 100, that's P-O-D 100, to save $100 on registration just for tuning in today. To learn more, go to chi-pep T-A-L-K dot com to learn more about Pep Talk, the Protein Science Week.
So Jink, on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who are open to the change and improve processes? Uh, yes. Uh, so when we introduced the uh, new digital tools and predictive technologies, there are people who are already in the forefront and uh, couldn't uh, get enough of those uh, technologies. So uh, we kind of started with them because uh, it's a way to demonstrate the change in the organization that there are a certain group of people who are very willing to uh, work with you and uh, demonstrate the value. So after we demonstrated and they were quite happy with the outcomes and we incorporated their feedback, obviously, that's very golden opportunity for us. And then we uh, actually converted them into promoters, right? So of that with the uh, colleagues. So instead of us trying to convince uh, the you know bigger population, which may take a slower turn, but when we have their own colleagues actually demonstrating how efficiently and differently they're operating, so that actually is much more stronger case. And then the more the uh, people are getting into the new way of operating, then uh, the more results you can get. And then there's the people are on their fence. So they usually kind of look at the results and they hear from the uh, kind of more like people who are not, you know, uh, willing to try or not moving along, but then also they are hearing from the success story. And then they make their decisions or and, and join the transformation. So one other thing that also I started seeing is that um, when in early, very early days, going back to these in silico models and predictive models we started introducing in a very small, uh, small scale and local applications, there was skepticism uh, on the scientist side. Uh, and there are a few of them really got the idea what we are trying to do and uh, trying to reduce experiments with in silico insights. But over time, things have changed quite a bit from, you know, I still want to, you know, run my experiments into, oh, in, uh, if you choose the right case, actually uh, running a lot of experiments is something you can easily predict with the computational uh, model. Maybe it's not the best thing to do. So maybe I focus on more uh, complex or high value activities. So and we see a lot of actually pull versus push in that case. And now we, uh, that has evolved into a new uh, challenge is that now more people wanted to be part of this story versus few of us uh, actually hoping to uh, influence them. So, so now that led us into uh, creating a lot of training and a lot of apprenticeship programs, uh, coding and you know computational uh, data sciences education and uh, rotations in my, I'm running a digital group, for example, they come in and go, almost like a mini uh, academic type thing. So that more people are capable of doing these uh, things. So that that actually gives them a lot of sense of ownership and uh, satisfaction, so that we can uh, execute this transformation on a much bigger scale. So that's yeah, continuing training or continuing education, really, of highly educated people. But um, as the technology changes with it, and so it seems. Like time, time and money are definitely uh, big selling factors as far as getting people adopt these, you know, new new ways of working. And so, in a dream situation, it sounds like you're on your way with these new programs. And as you continue your research, can you describe 
what would be like your ideal situation for biotherapeutic protein development in a manufacturing setting um, as far as like process development and a beautiful, intelligent from beginning to end? How, what would that look like for you? Funny, I'm, uh, I'm asked this question actually uh, frequently from my management as well, uh, which is a privilege. <laughs> That's your vision, you know, how can we help you? So um, I guess one thing that would be really fantastic down the road, I'm trying to envision what this might look like, but at the same time, you know, pragmatic enough that, you know, what's possible. Um, but one thing that would be great is that um, the whole end-to-end -end activities from the research when we uh, receive the uh, molecule and all the way to the patients are all linked for data flow. So it's not a, a simple task um, because it requires a lot of different uh, parts of the value chain, which takes years to complete, uh, to be connected and optimized. So imagine that we have systems that are actually doing that, not only our own value chain, not our only um, internal part of the value chain, when I describe value chain, I'm thinking about much broader value chain with our external partners, like uh, raw material suppliers, for example. That's a very big passion of mine. That we have done a lot of work in that domain. Raw materials pose uh, a significant risk to our development and operations, so you need to really understand uh, the data and how we can learn from it for reducing risk and improve performance. Um, so that's included as an example, all the way to our patients and patient-related um, uh, outcomes. Uh, with the feedback loops so that uh, we uh, learn from our experiences uh, they apply the learning curve uh, so for the next program we should be doing better faster and lower cost so those are uh, some of the wishes in the i have and at the same time a I, what i would like to see in from process development into manufacturing kind of a continuum that there's a lot of opportunity opportunity to make it smooth and be delivered to uh, the process we develop so intelligently designed that they're already uh, smart, if you will. They have their own machine learning models and monitoring system, you know, their capabilities when we actually put them in the manufacturing uh, environment without creating a major overhead for us to uh, configure. So it's just plug and play. That's the spirit of Industry 4.0, uh, or sometimes called uh, Construction 4.0 type principles, with all the miniaturized wireless sensing in place, and we have the right measurements so that we are very proactive, so we can predict and prevent issues, while we have machine learning capabilities to optimize, constantly optimize processes for reducing costs, reducing lead times, uh, so that we can serve our patients much better and faster. That sounds like an amazing world that hopefully we're not too far from. Thank you, Jank, for uh, taking time today and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Have a nice day. Thank you for joining us on The Chain. Tune in next time for more conversations about science, research, and exploring the world of protein engineering.